show and podcast for Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I am your host tonight, Gavin Tolomedi, and I am joined with... Gregory Robinson. And today we are here with Trent Gordon. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no problem at all. So um, what is your research here at Western University? So my research is actually focused on making some polymers for tissue engineering or drug delivery applications. And polymer, is that a type of molecule? Yeah, so a polymer is actually just a long chain of small repeating units of something called a monomer. And polymers are all around us, um, like the cellulose in wood or our rubber tires are actually made of like a really nice polymer, Kevlar. Um, we actually have polymers in cotton, uh, too. So polymers, that we have them all around us. They're natural and synthetic. Uh, so I work on making actually synthetic polymers that we like use in the lab. And we use those to actually put in the body. So the tricky thing about these kind of polymers is that, well, they have to interact well with the body. Because if they don't, they're actually going to cause more harm than they might help. So, like, what what kind of polymers do you make? Oh, good question, Greg. <laughs> so, the polymers that I'm making are, they're called polyesters and polyester amides. Kind of like the polyesters that you'd see in your clothes. Okay. okay. And so, what we do with these polymers is we actually make them into a delivery vehicle. Uh, what I mean by that is that we kind of make, like, you know, the Jello cups used to have as kids? Yeah. Vaguely, yeah. Vaguely, yeah. <laughs> Vaguely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are called, or we make them, and we call them a hydrogel. And we actually load them with various drugs, or we can use them for cellular encapsulation. Um, and then we inject them into the body where they break down over time. And we have to make sure that the products that they're going to break down into are actually going to be compatible with the body. And then the drug is released, or the cells can grow, and then they kind of release and they, and they do their thing. So it's like a very uh, painless way of re- getting some sort of drug into your system to relieve pain or to help uh, cure a minor disease that you might have. Absolutely. Yeah. So the real kind of driving factor about this is we want to minimize the amount of side effects associated like with drugs. So for example, um, my dad actually has arthritis. So he has to take a drug every single day. Uh, and, that, and that helps his pain. He can move around and play hockey. Uh, but unfortunately, there are a lot of side effects associated with this drug. One of them is actually the possibility of developing stomach ulcers, which is kind of like holes in your stomach lining, which sounds terrible. Not good. Not good, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. I don't know what's worse at the point. <laughs> yeah. So what we do is we take that same drug because we know it works. We load it into our hydrogel and we in- actually inject it directly into the knee where the disease is, is present. And then the hydrogel breaks down, releases the drug, and we actually we have no side effects associated with wow. with it. Well, limited, um, and no stomach ulcers because it's not going through your stomach anymore. Yeah, it's just going That's to your knee. It's yeah. going into your knee. <laughs> so you like literally just inject it into their into a, maybe not a human knee. Like, or are you guys doing like a human knee? So we've done animal work. We've done large animal work. We've done horses and sheep. Okay, interesting. Okay. And so far, I've actually had some good results. So you just inject it into one of these animals, and then it, like, I'm assuming it slowly breaks down, and because of that, it's slowly releasing the drug into the knee. That was perfectly explained. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm guessing you picked. I'm guessing for like horses and sheep, you picked them because they probably you picked animals that probably put a lot of weight on their own joints, similar to humans. 
Exactly. So a rat model isn't really a good model because their anatomy of their joint isn't very similar to humans. And not that horses or sheep are, but they're a little bit closer. And you're right. We want weight-bearing joints and these horses. So initially, a lot of our systems were actually designed to help improve horses, like, like for horse racing, because uh, there's actually a lot of money in that area. And there's a company who does something similar to what we do. They're called, I think, Flexion Therapeutics. And they make these kind of like particle systems, inject them in the knee, and they're trying to do it really big with horses right now. Wow, that's interesting. How, how big is it, like the, this gel and the particles inside of it? Like how big is it when you're injected into the knee? Like is so, it noticeable? Um, you can't really see. Well, you, you can see the gel. Okay. Uh, but you can't actually see the particles because the particles are on the size of like a couple microns. Gotcha. Um, they're fairly small. Like we call them the larger nanoparticles or smaller micron sized particles. Okay. And the gels are actually working on another cool property about them is they are called thermoresponsive. So that's a fancy word for the fact that when you keep them in the fridge before they're injected, they're actually like a liquid and they're like almost behave like water. Hmm. But then once you heat the, once we inject them, and the reason we need that, because you can't really put a gel in a needle, right? Yeah. You, it just it, won't work. It just, it just seems messy. Exactly. <laughs> very messy and very impressive. <laughs> just thinking like a surgery or something and just shoving some things in there. Yeah. Or like trying to shove syrup down a small hole. <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, you actually, you touched on a really good point because some hydrogels are delivered that way. Really? Yeah. Is that in the surgery, you cut the person open, you put the gel where you want it to be. Um, but the applications hmm. that you can imagine would be slightly limited with those kind of gels. Yeah, and you're cutting open a joint where you're moving it around a lot, and there's a lot of skin that, like, it's supposed to... If you, if you cut it, it's really bad, essentially, because, like, you can't really claw it and have it really repair easily, right? Exactly. So if you're having, like, a major surgery there, that's not obviously not good. Exactly, and you don't yeah. want, you want to do less damage by having your delivery system that you, that you don't yeah. want to cause. <laughs> Least eva- like invasive as possible, right? 100%. Yeah. Hmm. So that's why we, so what happens is that in the fridge it's cool and nice and liquidy, but then when we inject it directly in the knee joint, it actually gels up at 37 degrees Celsius. How quickly? Uh, within the span of five to 10 minutes. Okay. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a quick injection that yes. you can't slowly no, insert no, it. No, no, no. So we inject it and then we have the animal stay where it is for a certain time period and then it forms the gel. So like this gel, I'm assuming it's like, the nanoparticles are like dissolved in the gel or something like that. And then it's like, as it's like being broken down, like it releases it. They're not like, it's not actually inside of like a gel, like surrounding a bunch of like, like a pill. Uh, kind of. <laughs> so we have a couple different systems. Okay. We're actually working with taking our mar- microparticles, just injecting them, also loading them into our gels, like you said, mm-hmm. and then injecting that and then having like a dual kind of responsive system. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we've shown some like r- cool release studies of the fact that we've shown that uh, we have actually slowed down the release of the drug for up to two or three months. Uh, instead of you taking a drug, it goes to your system in a couple of days, right? Like, yeah. This is, That's ridiculous. It's kind of interesting, I think. So would that mean that you'd have to probably get an injection then every few months? Yeah. Just so to keep, until, it, would you always have to take it if you have uh, osteoarthritis then? Or would it be over like a certain period of time you'd only have to take it? So the unfortunate thing about osteoarthritis is that there is no cure. And the only thing that we can really do for patients is mitigate as much of the pain as possible. Because right now, if you go to your doctors, they'll say, okay, you can take this drug. It might have a lot of side effects, uh, but it's the best we got. If not, we can amputate your leg 
and I don't think that's take a choice pills. people want to take the, <laughs> take the pills 100% <laughs> <laughs> exactly okay so instead you just go in like two like once every like couple months and then you just get an injection that's kind of the idea exactly yeah. and we're continually trying to prolong the release yeah because the longer that, that you can go without an injection the more convenient it is if we can have a system where it lasts for up to like a couple years oh, that's ideal this may be like a really weird random question but Let's say you like inject it into like a horse that's like constantly doing races. Would it affect the me- like metabolism of of the actual gel because it's like different temperature, it's being like pressurized differently? A hundred percent. So you're right. There is huge compressive forces that would, especially in a horse. If you have a racing horse, they're gonna actually be like crushing. Yeah. That uh. So it that last, joint space. It wouldn't last as long. No. So yeah. in that case, we'd have to tune the polymer properties. Okay. Which is actually kind of what I do in the lab. It's kind of like, have you guys seen the show Breaking Bad? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty much a chemist in the lab. I just mix a bunch of stuff together and try and create these polymers uh, that have different properties. So in that kind of case, if your horse is racing a lot, you want a pro- polymers with a higher Young's modulus, so a higher strength. That would take a longer uh, time period and more force to actually break it apart. So you so you could then create a variety of these polymers with different strengths essentially and then you could maybe say if you're an av- someone who's every day you work in an office but you still have arthritis you would take this one i'm relatively more active and they'll say that all right maybe this is a slightly stronger one or it's like i'm an athlete i compete in running swimming triathlons and like but i have arthritis now it's like all right you're probably gonna want this one if you're constantly working that joint you're 100 percent right <laughs> and so this is one of the big like selling points of our research is that maybe in 10, 15 years, we can have patient-specific healthcare yeah. and say that, okay, you're an athlete, great, we'll give you this kind of formula. Or you're an older person, we'll give you this, or vice versa. We can tune the properties of the polymer to your lifestyle. Hmm. And you could quickly tell like when they start having pain again, right? Absolutely. So that's how they would know how like, to go back in, yeah. essentially. Hmm. And we could measure the concentration of drug within the joint still. So we could say, oh, this is not working or there's no drug anymore. Like, you guys yeah. need... So you, you can more. actually measure it. Like, you just, like, take out some fluid. What exactly. is that called? Synoviotic fluid or something like that? Synovial fluid. Synovial yeah. fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. That's and some real Walter White stuff right there. <laughs> it feels pretty cool <laughs> making these chemicals. When they work, but I'm sure you guys are well aware. A lot of stuff in grad school doesn't work but so why specifically are you injecting it instead of just having them take a pill like what what's the benefit and what exactly like physiologically is the reason why you're doing this to reduce the side effects associated with the drug and to prolong the release okay so the side effects because it's passing through so many different organisms in your body or your organs i guess yeah uh it's going to cause a lot of different effects on them especially your stomach the stomach is a huge one for these so what we're injecting is called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and they have a ton of different side effects and then as you can imagine if you inject it directly into your knee joint you actually need less drug to have the same therapeutic benefit okay so we need less drug it's more effective um, and it's just kind of a better system and we target it yeah. where we want it and when there's less of the drug there's obviously gonna be less side effects then, exactly right? but exactly. it's also I'm assuming like it's not gonna dissolve into the blood as easily right uh, we hope not, <laughs> but at this point we have to run like, like more tests and more studies because that, uh, the concentration will be less and we hope that, so we've actually sh- shown that, uh, we took, um, histological s- section of our sheep okay, and we saw that there are some microparticles still in there, which showed that, Hey, 
they're actually within the synovial membrane of the joint, which is where a lot of the inflammation occurs, which is where we want them to be. That's so like ideal. Mm. It was. Probably. We were yeah. really excited about that research. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Will, will there be some side effects you think that you won't be able to get rid of, even injecting it straight through the knee? You mentioned stomach ulcers. You won't have to worry about that because it's no longer passing through there. And maybe less cardiovascular because it's no longer having to deal close to your heart. But is there anything joint related or maybe more muscle related that it probably can't really uh, get rid of? Absolutely. So one common problem we actually do see is that when we do inject something, it's tough to tell that if we're actually providing a lot of benefit or there is initial damage caused by the injection. So that's one thing we have to worry about with the horses because um, we do see a little bit of inflammation when we inject the particles, but we're not sure if that's caused by the inflammation of the needle or by the actual particles or the hydrogel themselves. Interesting. Hmm. So do you do like a control where you don't actually have the nanoparticles in the gel? Like you're just yeah. injecting the gel? I was gel? just about to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's actually one thing that we haven't done yet, but we're going to do in some, some future studies. Have you also like potentially looked at like just not even injecting them and see if like it's different? Then? So w one, one cool thing is that uh, when we injected them into the horses, we actually rely, or sorry, into the sheep, we rely on the um, the veterinarian a lot to tell us, okay, how are they acting? And if they say, oh, they're, you know, they're they're doing sheep stuff, they're walking around, <laughs> casually grazing. <laughs> what what it's are a good thing? Stuff? That's that sheep is acting normally. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just grazing, just grazing. Oh no, that's unusually buying over there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So so that's one thing we actually look for. It's pretty qualitative in that sense. But then we measure, okay, is there increased protein concentration? Is there increased white like white blood cell concentration after the injection. Um, and we try and mitigate as much as possible. Hmm. That's really, really interesting. Wow. Yeah, I, I My think My mind's it's... blown. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, okay. I mean, <laughs> it would make it so much easier. And then I was, this was like an earlier thought I had, but it's almost like you can appease to two different markets. So you have regular, regular patients, like just general hospitals and maybe even some pharmaceutical companies, but then you've also got the sports aspect that you could really appease to, because, I mean, they're always looking for more ways so athletes can keep on keep on competing, whether it's in Olympics or in sports teams, because usually they, they retire due to just injuries they pick up, especially in sports like American football, rugby, sprinting, so soccer, or European football for anyone who is not from North America. But yeah, I'm thinking that, do you think, like, maybe at, say, 10, 20 years after after this, using this type of injection drug to help relieve pain in osteoarthritis and maybe other types of joint pains, do you think it could definitely appease to these two markets? So you brought up a really good point. And the point is the fact that this is a market that hasn't really been tapped yet. Drug delivery, I think, is going to be huge in the next couple of years because there are a lot of drugs out there that have a lot of side effects, and we need a way to reduce them and, and target the drugs more effectively. And that pharmaceutical companies actually are developing teams now to work on that. But the, con the previous forms of taking pills, I think, are going to be outdated in the next 10 to 15 years, which is a bold claim, but I think it's an exciting field to be in right now. Has anyone, like, patented this gel technology? So Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've actually looked at a couple different patents for this. And the reason that we kind of... I've gone away for a little bit from the um, microparticle systems is that there is a company that does very similar work and we're worried we don't want to infringe on their patent w like whatsoever. Uh, but in terms of 
the actual polymers we're using were, were a little bit safer because they are different polymers. Um, but there are tons of different patents f for gels or drug delivery vehicles. Uh, what we're focused on developing new polymers to actually improve uh, the quality of these delivery systems. So you could potentially patent it? Potentially patent it. We are thinking about one of them, actually. We are thinking about possibly putting like a provisional patent for a okay. Canadian, um, the Canadian cool. Patent Office. Yeah, make that some, would be- Make some money. Hey, you know what? If this could, well, it's more about helping people, I think, that yeah. we go in this field because that although it might be lucrative uh, further down the road, I think that the idea is that if we can help people's pain, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I think, yeah, it's definitely goal number one, help people out. Yeah, it's actually kind of what I got in, into this field in the first place. How did you get into this field? Oh, gr yeah. great <laughs> question. Uh, so I was playing hockey uh, at a young age, and my brother, who was actually, all admittedly, a little bit better than I was, uh, he was playing with someone who was a really good hockey player. His name was actually Neil Doof, but he was hit into the boards and was actually paralyzed from the waist down. And wow. it really kind of affected me. Um, I remember thinking, that would be the worst. I love to play sports, love to play hockey as a kid. I couldn't imagine a lifestyle like that. And I thought, well, one day I want to kind and try and help people like this. So I went into chemical engineering and master's in biomedical and learning some cool stuff that kind of relates to it. So at a young age, kind of following my dreams, I guess. Wow. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> and you stuck to, that's your full background, mainly just uh, bio, bio and chemical engineering. Yeah. Um, so my dad actually, I was looking at schools, which schools to go to. I knew I wanted to do like the biomedical, the biochemical. And my dad went to Western uh, 30 years ago and graduated from engineering. Oh, no and way. yeah, it was super cool. So he's like, Trent, you're going to have so much fun at Western. And gonna, <laughs> I said, okay, dad, I'm sold. Uh, so here I am now. And he actually was really cool because in engineering, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but we wear something called an, an iron the, ring. Yeah, the, yeah. the ring. Yeah. And my dad was the one who put the ring on me. Uh, which Ooh. was kind of a really special moment. And you're like, all right, I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So did you do your undergrad here in engineering then? Yeah. Yeah. In and chemical and biochemical engineering, um, which was okay. Uh, but my favorite part about it was my thesis. I never got like crazy high marks or anything in undergrad. I don't think like the theory Not many the engineers like do that though, right? Like it's more like just get through it. Right. Yeah. It's like the end product. It's like, at the end, does it work? Yes. Yeah. That's good enough for me. <laughs> exactly. I think in second year, the model was like, C's get degrees. But then <laughs> then you go to third year and like, well, I can't get into grad school with C's. So <laughs> let's try a little bit harder and rearrange your priorities. Yeah. Because you usually have like, well, I, I think it was like seven and a half credits, like a year in like first year or something like that. Yeah. They, they really like overload you guys compared to like every other degree. Is, is it like 15 courses essentially almost or depends? I, I, something like that. Like normally we do five credits here per year, but then like the engineers do more like seven or seven and a half or something like that. We had seven final exams at the end of first year. Oh. I remember <laughs> just... I just look, got so skinny. <laughs> just just <laughs> a lot of coffee, a lot of all-nighters studying. It was terrible. If that was me, I wouldn't be skinny. I'd probably be putting on weight because I stress eat. Oh, uh, stress eat? <laughs> well, when I'm studying, I just usually, I could have a bag of crisps and it'd be gone within 10 minutes because I'm just like, yeah, wow. constantly <laughs> feeding myself. Yeah. So I'm definitely glad that like I'm not an undergrad anymore. No, I, like, if I was like studying, like if I was doing an all nighter, I would just get like a two liter bottle of Pepsi or something like that, and I'm, like that would be both caffeine and the calories, so I'd be good. Yeah, but your mornings would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were. <laughs> Usually, I'd go to sleep right after the exam. 
No, the grad school life is way better. Yeah. Totally agree. It's like, Without a doubt. Especially with all the time. Maybe time management is more the stress, but there's definitely more freedom and less stress about exams. Way less stress about exams, way more freedom. And I think if you treat it like a real job, then you'll be successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's managing the failures, which is the hardest part. Because there's so many. <laughs> so many failures at grad school. It's only bad, though, if you don't learn from the failures. Yeah. If you just let that one failure hit you and you go like, yeah, that's it, I'm, I'm gone, pack my bags. Then it's like then no one in science would get anything done. That's, That's just the wrong point. mentality. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you if you go in expecting everything to go perfectly, it's like you are not going to be satisfied then. <laughs> yeah. I think like one of the great things about grad school is that you have to learn that mentality that like you just accept failures and just keep going. Because like so many people in undergrad don't have that. No. So it's, You're it's used important. to like knowing what exactly you have to do in a test, and if you put in the work, you'll do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not the case in grad school. No. Yeah. And I think that if you have the attitude that if everything has to work and if you relate your mental health to the success of your experiments <laughs> you're not good you're in bad shape yeah, yeah. I'm guessing you guys have because in bio and chemistry you guys must have moments where you could spend weeks trying to get an experiment to work but then at the end like pulling late nights but then maybe at the end it's like oh it it didn't work we're gonna have to try something yeah something else fortunately for me like I never I've had like a few times where it's like I'll do a two-day, like, experiment. Like, I'm trying to stain, like, slides for histology, and it won't work. But, like, that's just two days, and it doesn't take too much time. So, yeah, I don't really have it that bad, but I know people that have put in, like, weeks of work, and then it find out, like, it's nothing usable. Like, that would suck. The first year of my master's is, like, virtually useless. It's not going really? to my thesis. Yeah. Ooh. A lot of the chemistry just really didn't work. Just we're, tried different, like, things and just didn't work? Yeah. We were trying to incorporate a really reactive molecule into this polymer because it had a lot of cool applications. Okay. But it really just didn't work. But with the lessons we learned from it, allowed us to take some really cool directions. And thankfully, a lot of stuff is working now. That's that's how it works out, right? Like, you, you make a mistake, but then usually it guides you to get to the right spot. Hundred percent, and it's lessons like you were saying. It's the lessons you learn from it, which are super valuable. Yeah. And if you let figure it out early, like at least it's good, good that it may have been. It sucked that it was probably mostly your whole first year that you had to figure it out. This molecule didn't work, but at least it was the first year of your masters that you realize, okay, this doesn't work. So let's try something yeah. else. If it was the second year, there'd probably be probably a lot more stressful. You're like, uh, exactly. we're getting near the end, and it's not working. <laughs> I'm kind of a little bit curious about the actual polymers that you use. Like, are they expensive? How exactly do you make them? Like, I don't want you to go in too much detail and give away your patent before you apply for it, but <laughs> I'm just wondering if you can go Don't a release the more. secrets yet. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So we start with a polymer called polyethylene glycol. Okay. Uh, the, re- it's, the short form is PEG. The reason we use this is for a couple reasons. Is one, it's water soluble and it's FDA approved. So a huge problem in our field is if that if we have a patent and we want it to be commercialized, it's going to take like 10 years to make a company and get it through the FDA and all the, like, the yeah. clinical trials and whatnot. So we start with this polymer, and then what I work on is like what kind of units can we add to it? So we use a bunch of actually amino acids. Um, Alaspartic acid is one okay. that I use. And then another component, uh, which I had a lot of trouble incorporating, is something called idaconic acid. Okay. And the goal is actually to grow it in a couple of farms around the city of London. And there's a lab in engineering working on extracting it from algae. So we want to take an FDA-approved polymer. We want to take a renewable resource, the adiconic acid. And then we want to take something that our body produces, the aspartic acid. Okay. And then combine it into a system where we can use it to 
deliver a variety of drugs or can attach a lot of maybe proteins or peptides to it uh, for more biocompatibility. Okay. So if you start with PEG, polyethylene glycol. Nice. And then you add an amino acid. Yeah. I'm assuming amino acid, people consume it, so it's not going to be bad. Yeah. But if you add that, do they still have to go through FDA approval? Unfortunately, every kind of modification you make to your polymer, you have to get it approved. Okay. But what you can submit is, is something called a 510K. And okay. what that is, is basically says that your device or whatever you're, you're trying to push through is similar enough to something else on the market that they can value it like that other thing on the market and then only have to make some small iterations to it. Yeah. Interesting. If you have to get like every single modification approved by the FDA, are there moments that, like, how long does it usually take for them to approve or reject it? Because I imagine if you're waiting for them to say, give you the green light, it kind of like, does it halt research because you can't really continue developing it if they in the end say, no, you can't, you can't use this. 100%. So <laughs> I've actually heard professors use a term, the valley of death, to describe <laughs> their research because a lot of them are frustrated and say that I have something that I think can actually go somewhere. But in order to get enough funding to go through the clinical trials and everything, I think it's an estimated the minimum cost of everything, all the clinical trials, in the FDA is around $40 million minimum. So you have to talk to some venture capitalists. You have to either do that or some strategic partners, which a lot of profs don't really have any experience doing. Mm -hmm. So the technology just kind of gets lost in the academic space. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because if some people see these papers and they can possibly make an impact with them, that's great. Mm -hmm. Eventually, yeah. yeah. Eventually. But it definitely slows down research translation to get it to the clinic and to people who actually could benefit from it. So let's say you're a researcher and you just happen to come across like a billion dollars <laughs> and you have a product and you're like, let's get this done. How long would it, do you think it would take to actually get FDA approval? Uh, in the health industry, they say minimum 10 years. But if you have a lot of money, you money talks, <laughs> maybe five. Maybe we're talking Here's five. Here's an extra 10 mil. How long yeah, are we yeah, talking exactly, now? <laughs> exactly. Still 10 years? Here's an extra 10. Yeah, <laughs> keep that going. Five? Oh, it's just... <laughs> But it all depends. Okay. It's on a need basis, too. So let's say you discover like a therapy for cancer or a specific type of uh, thing that's actually going to help people immediately. They might accelerate it. They might accelerate. And the FDA does have programs. Like the coronavirus or something like that? Hey, if you... Well, yeah. Um, and the companies are saying, what's going to take them? Like one year to they at least a, a year. They said in January, it'll take them at least a year to create a vaccine. Yeah. Similar yeah. to probably the flu vaccine, I'm guessing. Yeah. So they'll probably just test that right away, though, right? I think they're trying to do tests now. Okay. It's getting permission to bring the virus into a lab. Yeah. Which I can understand why it's tricky, but... Do it in China. <laughs> oh, they probably already are. They pro I mean, to be fair, I'd be shocked if the Chinese are not Jeez. doing that right now. <laughs> yeah. Or Italy. Yeah, or Italy. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Well, anyways, I just want to thank Walter White for coming on the oh, show. Oh, wow. <laughs> A.K.A. Trent Gordon. Huge praise. It's been uh, definitely a pleasure talking to you and learning about your research. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. And my family and my friends, they have a face for radio, so it's been a good experience. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a face for TV. Yeah, or, no. At least YouTube. But, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. If anybody wants to learn more, is there, like, a website, like, a lab website or a Twitter or anything that you want to? Yeah, do? Okay. Definitely. Um, I'm part of the Elizabeth Gillies Research Group. We have a Twitter. Uh, we have a website. Um, add me on LinkedIn. Love LinkedIn. <laughs> um, but definitely, thank you guys so much for having me. This was super fun. Well, that sounds good. Thank you for coming on again. It was really interesting learning about this new, hopefully revolutionary way to 
uh, battle osteoarthritis. Maybe one day. Yeah. Thanks. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Exactly. <laughs> so this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Gavin Tullivetti, and my co-host was Gregory Robinson, and we have been speaking with Trent Gordon, and this episode was produced by Gregory Robinson. If you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we are on the radio at CHRW 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Alternatively, select podcasts have been uploaded to YouTube at Gradcast Radio. Thank you for listening, and have a great night.